Hey everyone, this is Tyson Cross. Thanks for listening to the CRE Deal Flow. And in today's episode, we sat down with fellow broker David Gellner. And David is a broker that works in our Seattle office for CPX. And and so David and I don't get a chance to speak to each other or interact on a daily basis. But David's a broker that is focusing on single and multi-tenant commercial buildings up in Washington State. And David's been a broker since about 2012. And in today's episode, we talk a lot about strategies, tips, tricks, things he does in order to keep himself at the top of his game. He talks about what he does on a daily basis to prepare himself for the grind that is brokerage, but more importantly, how he separates himself from the pack in really with the intent to crush his brokerage business and ultimately set himself up for extreme success, but also for his clients, uh, more importantly. So I wanted to apologize in advance for this this audio. Unfortunately, I think my microphone was off when we recorded it, so bear with me on that. But you can hear David well. You'll just have to strain a little bit to hear me. So I apologize for that. Hopefully that doesn't impact your ability to get value out of this episode because I think it's packed with a lot of great advice for it's aspiring brokers, but also for just anybody who's interested to hear a perspective of what it takes to be a broker from our seat, uh, whether you're an investor or a broker. So I hope you enjoy the show. And as always, sit back, relax, and here we go. You're listening to CRE Deal Flow with Tyson Cross. In this show, we'll talk about what it means to hustle as a broker, investor, and lifelong learner in the world of commercial real estate. There is a proven path to growing a successful commercial real estate business and long-term passive income. And now, here's your host, Tyson Cross. What's up, everyone? This is Tyson, and uh, welcome to another episode of ERE Deal Flow. Super stoked to have a colleague of mine on the show today. David, what's up? Hey, Tyson. Good to see you, man. Thanks for coming on. David is uh, a senior broker out of our Portland, not Portland, Seattle office at CPX, and uh, I thought it'd be fun to have him on the show. Talk a little bit about his business, how he approaches this business day in and day out, um, a little bit about the background that, uh, that he comes from and how that's transitioned into a successful career brokerage. And then, you know, I thought we would talk a little bit about the market and kind of where it goes from here. So thanks again, man, for coming on the show. And uh, why don't we kick it off? You were just telling me right before we started recording here a little bit about your background. So maybe you can rehash that and just give us a, give us a, just a glimpse into kind of your background before brokerage, when you started and how that transitioned into kind of your first couple of years as a broker. For sure, man. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, so my background... I grew up in a smaller town called Lake Stevens, Washington, blue collar, middle-class family. My dad was a diesel mechanic in construction and kind of C student uh, throughout high school, had no clue what I wanted to do in my life and uh, somehow found my way after high school into the fire department where I was for, I believe about four or five years and thought that was going to be my path in life and was all about 
felt that. It was who I was at that time. And then 08 kind of changed the trajectory of things in the sense that I was the youngest, lowest man on the totem pole. So one day came where basically it was uh, pretty obvious that we were going to be kind of in an environment where no, you know, employment in the fire department was going to be pretty tough for a while. And so I went off to college in Washington, uh, Central Washington University and did uh, got my four year degree in business and communications and thought I was going to hop back into the fire department. And somehow, some way, I, I always knew I had an interest in real estate, but I stumbled upon, I think it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad kind of fired me up. And then next thing I know, I found a dozen real estate and investing books in my room that I couldn't put down. And so that kind of triggered me to start looking at commercial real estate and doing it full time in some capacity. And I had no contacts based on my upbringing in the industry. I think my family knew one residential broker and that was about it. And so I talked to all the big shops that we all know and actually applied for this, what we would consider a runner position. I didn't know that at the time. I think it was like associate broker, but applied on monster.com for an associate broker position at a local firm here and ended up there for a couple of years before I came to, came over to the company we're at now, CPX. Awesome, man. It's so funny because you say stumbled upon Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, was it the, that book or was it one of those books? Because I know they have like a series. Of, I, like, think it, I think it was that book. And then I just like read everything in, yeah. in the next couple of months like that he wrote. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, so many people have had that same kind of story where they've gotten that book. Or for me, it was the ABCs of Real Estate Investing by Ken McElroy. And Ken, like he's one of the rich dad advisors or whatever. Now they write those books. But it was the same thing for me. And so it's funny that I heard that. You mentioned uh, like when you were in high school, these students, and then you got out and you're like, I don't know what to do. I feel like I was just talking to somebody about that recently because uh, I mean, so many people get out of school, no idea what they're going to do. Most of them go to college. That's what we think we're supposed to do. And then we end up, you know, spending a ton of money, end up not even really using the, the education in the way that we originally intended to. Did you know that, I mean, did you have like some inclination that you were, you were going to be good at sales in high school or did you just gravitate to firefighting because like you didn't, I mean, walk me through how you made that decision. Did you have somebody that you knew that was a firefighter or how did you end up choosing that? No, you know, it was, it's been probably close to 15 years now. So it's kind of foggy, but I think, I mean, I was just super lost, man. I mean, yeah. I, I was mediocre at best in schooling in the sense that nothing ever, like I'm the type of individual where when I get into something, I'm like 110% in, but if I'm not into something, I just coast and that's kind of it. So I never really studied, never did any of that in school. And I think what happened was there was a local, what would they call it? A residency program near where I live. So part of my entry into the fire department was I, I essentially went through a pseudo boot camp type situation where they brought on a crew. They did, you know, a boot camp for I think it was 60 days, five days a week for 60 days. And then I would be at the fire station for a full year on my residency, uh, 48 hours a week. So I would spend two full days at the fire station, basically learning how to be a firefighter and, and going on calls and all that. Yeah. So then fast forward, read the book. Had you graduated college or you hadn't, had you already gone to college at that point? It was, it was senior year and it was oh, okay. one of those situations where I was like, man, you know, I got to figure out if I'm going to go back into the fire department or what the heck am I going to do? Because frankly, the college experience is not that great about providing direction at all towards, hey, maybe you should explore a couple things. And, and what really lit the fire was I did internship because we were forced to in order to graduate and I absolutely 
absolutely hated it. It was it was miserable. I was like, after that internship, it was a great internship. So if he listens to this, he was incredible. The guy, Zach, Zach was his name. It was probably most most people may have been very enthused with that type of internship. I just could not sit at a computer and write emails and do social media and maybe have a couple phone calls. But it was like, you're just looking at the clock all day. And I said, I, I can't live like this. This is this is not for me. So that's kind of the first major portion that spun it off. And then I think, you know, one thing that I forgot to mention is, you know, I grew up blue collar and I saw my dad work so hard with an incredible work ethic. But really what changed my family's trajectory was when he was probably in his 30s, he invested in duplexes. And so he, you know, bought a duplex, lived in it, built and then subsequently built two more duplexes. And fast forward 30 plus years, I mean, it, it provided a lifestyle and financial security for us that we definitely would not have had. And so I always saw that as one, I thought it was pretty cool. Just, you know, the investment side and something about that just feels so right. But it was a very palpable thing for my family when when I was able to see that. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that, that had, must have had an impact on you, whether you knew it at the time or not, right? You're sort of being exposed to that subconsciously. And then probably it sounds like when you read that book, that was sort of the light bulb that went off and you're like, oh, wait, my dad's doing this. This is, and it just kind of clicked maybe for you. Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, I think my, I think at the time I was like, hey, I'll go back to the fire department and then pull as much cash as I can and then just be kind of, you know, an investor whenever I can. Um, but after reading and kind of getting the spark, I said, let's just jump into this thing, see what happens. But to answer your question on, did I ever think I would be good at sales? No, I was the last person in the world if growing up that you would think would be good at sales, like legitimately, I would have problems like, I'm no exaggeration, ordering food, like a takeout order. I would get super nervous to order a takeout order. And this is at like 20 years old. So it's a little embarrassing to admit, but um, no, I bar this thing. I think I was always good socially, hopefully. I, I think I'm pretty safe to say, but on like a pure talking on the phone, it was probably the my least favorite thing and most uncomfortable thing at, at that point time in my life. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear you say that. I think, I mean, I think it's so true for a lot of people. And even if there's like somebody, a younger person listening to this show or listening to say that, because I can relate to that. When I was younger and when I was a kid, I was out there myself. I was pretty shy. And I just remember having a hard time approaching people, especially if it, if they were someone like of authority, right? Especially when I was like a kid and I'd have to go talk to like one of my dad's friends or my parents' friends. It, just, it was intimidating. So to hear you say that, it's refreshing and probably, maybe it's not hard to say, but it's definitely something that's going to probably be some people. And I think it's interesting too because like they don't really have business classes in high school too, right? So nobody really knows. And unless you're like exposed, you have a mentor that sort of guides you in a certain direction. I was just talking about this today. It's crazy. But like you you sort of just drift, right? Kind of just drift into the space. And then it's either a person or a book or maybe a combination of the two that can have like such a profound impact and then it changes like the course of your entire life. And it's cool. It's incredible to like hear that. Absolutely. All right. So going forward to when you read that book, I don't want to get too grand here, but I think it's kind of important. When you read that book, were you initially like, hey, I want to be a broker or were you like, I want to be an owner? And then how do I get to the ownership, right? Oh, yeah. I think everyone probably says at first, yeah, I'm going to be an owner. I'm going to own all this real estate. But then it very quickly turns into how do I, how am I going to pay for it and actually do it? And so I think I looked at brokerage, property management. You know, I think at the time I kind of glossed over everything and somehow stumbled upon brokerage, man. I don't think I was super intentional about it. I was just frankly looking for an opportunity and and trying to get my foot 
foot in the door somewhere and had some type of belief that I'd figure it out through hard work and persistence. So fast forward a little bit. So you jumped into brokerage and walk me through kind of like your first couple years. What was that like? Was it a struggle? My test early? And then what, what do you think were sort of the reasons? for that, whether it was good or bad. And, and then we jump into like now what you're doing and how you approach this up. Yeah. I mean, if I was to peel all the way back, I mean, I started in 2012. So, you know, my recollection of the market at that time was it kind of, st- you know, was relatively flatlined, but at least transactions were happening nowhere near the volume we've experienced, you know, the last what five years, but deals were getting done. It was cool to see people do that. And so I applied on, you know, interviewed all the big shops, didn't know anyone found this boutique firm in, in Seattle area and kind of got latched up with this with this older broker. And um, basically very informal training. And, you know, I had a ton of desire behind me because one part of this story that I think is important is my parents were less than thrilled of me being a broker. They were actually, yeah, they paid for my two years of college and that was a ton of money for them. And then, you know, I basically came to them and said, hey, I'm going to go be a real estate broker. And they're like, are you kidding me? Where you're going to go sell houses like and make no money after we just paid all this money, it was not good. So I knew I kind of had a gun to my head and it was either, you know, true sink or swim environment. But I remember getting in and being super scared and said, you know, you're going to attack this thing and you're going to die trying. And so I spent two to three years, you know, I was commuting an hour each way, 40, it was 43 miles from my house, living at my parents' house to the office in Kirkland, Washington. And sometimes that would take, you know, best case an hour, most cases, especially evenings, an hour and a half, but I would get in at seven and I would leave around six to seven. And one thing that became super clear and for the listeners, I'm I'm in the investment space. So I was at primarily a leasing brokerage house, retail leasing house. And so those two business dynamics are pretty substantially different. It, you know, I think the way the framework in my mind, leasing brokers have far too much business. Usually most of them have too much business they can handle, whereas investment brokers we we never have enough business. And so it's flipped, but it became extremely clear to me in this industry and for me to survive. I remember like I had a mantra and I was like, I'm going to be the best cold car. I'm going to be incredible on the phone. And I remember for a long time, but I remember some of my first calls, man. And it was, you know, at the time, 10 years ago, I had, you know, one of those desk phones that you press the number and pull it up to your head. And my, my hand was literally shaking like this, you know, shaking, shaking. And um, I just, I had enough desire, but I would cold call. I'd look people up on yellowpages.com and just call. And the calls were so, you know, almost embarrassingly. And they, they were embarrassing. They were horrible. They were they were not good, but I just grinded it through and things came up on it for sure. So a lot of good stuff in there. But I guess like when you say you were, you know, it's so like, so vivid, you know, you're so scared to pick up the phone. And most people... Let's face it, like almost everybody hates cold calling. I mean, you like it, there's something wrong with you. Um, you can learn to be good at it and that make it, but nobody liked doing it. I mean, how did you overcome that? Like, what did you do? Did you guys get training or sales training? Or did you just kind of like, they give you a phone and they're like, hey, good luck? Yeah, I mean, the guy that I was with, you know, we probably did like four or five role plays and then it was pretty much figured out. And so, you know, what was tough at that time, which, you know, if we were to suggest any new brokers, 
leaders or anyone entering the industry is like where we're at today, we have all this opportunity to call on all this product that the entire company is selling. And at the time where I was at, there was none of that. There was very little to none of that. And so, you know, the calls were very basic, man, to be honest with you. It was, hey, I'm David Gellner. I'm a commercial real estate broker. I see you own X. Any plans to buy or sell? And I would, you know, that's all I had in my quiver at the time. And what pushed me through was it, it was just so clear of there's no other way for me to get business. And I'm either going to figure this out and be really good at it, or I'm going to go work a nine to five, which was not an option. And so that's kind of what happened and, you know, grinded through it. So, yeah. And that's, that's um, you can be successful doing that it just requires a ton of calls, right? I mean, if somebody wants to, go, and I know guys that call like that, they just test their call and it's a number. I would highly not recommend it at all. It was just my only option at the time. And, you know, I think one thing we should all be super grateful for today is like, it's nowadays you can go online through, you know, your podcast or a few other podcasts and actually like gain insight or watch videos, you know, where that, that just, at least when I was looking for it, that just wasn't around. Yeah. Speeds up your learning curve. So it's, it's, it's interesting to me that you recognize cold calling as important to the business at such an early, like so early in your career, right? You made the statement, Hey, I want to be the best cold caller. Was that because you realized how important it was? Or was that just because you, you knew that that was basically as in your mind, the gig at the time, you know, and you're like, I'm just going to be the best at this that I can't. It was just super clear that, you know, I was watching the other players in the space and, you know, used to hear all the time I'd be running into this other guy. And, you know, it was like, man, he's talking to everyone and he's just on me all the time and saying the right things. And um, it just was super clear that, hey, in order to be a successful investment broker to reach the top echelon of the industry, you got to be in front of people. And calling is the best way to do that in my mind. And still is to this day. I mean, we know there's many different ways to skin this business and make money. I still, for retail investment sales, I would still hold firm to that 10 years later of if you're not on the phone every day, if you're not good on the phone or committed to it consistently, you're not going to, you're going to be mediocre at best. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's funny when you, um, there's, like you said, there's so many podcasts and, and YouTube videos now uh, today, and there's always debate all come across as whether it's on like Twitter or whatever, but you have this debate between the guys and the gals who think that cold calling is, is not relevant in today's market. And yeah. then, and then, and, and, and I, you know, to be honest, I don't know that it's specific to commercial real estate because I think a lot of people that say, hey, cold calling, you know, dead, mean that, right? Cold calling dead. Those people really aren't in commercial real estate. I think they're more in like the traditional or traditional sales role. And those are the people that are like touting content and like social media and put out content and have people come to you, which I, I firmly believe is also important. But when it comes to commercial real estate, having been in this now for a little bit of time and like you, like there's no substitute. I mean, if you, if you talk about pillars for the business, you had to narrow it to like one or two pillars. This would be the number one pillar by a long shot. Yeah, I, w- I would put it on 80%, 75 to 80% easily. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say too that, you know, you could be the worst cold caller. You could be sh- like you, you could be like shaking with the phone and just say the worst. And I, I, I can think back to some calls where I was like, what was I saying right there? Like you hang up and you're just like, I hope that guy forgets that I ever called. You know, like you can say the worst stuff, but I would say that if you just pick up the phone consistently and just like get on the phone with people, you're going to be successful at some level, right? And then obviously if you refine it, then it increases your status, sort of that shapes it. But like the bare basics, if you pick up the phone, 
phone enough, you're going to be, you're going to make money. Yeah. The worst thing you can do in this business is not pick up the phone. And the best thing you can do is pick up the phone and make the call. And even to this day, I'm not going to say it's, you know, doesn't matter exactly what you say, but it doesn't have that much importance, to be honest with you. I mean, there's an art form to it. There's a skill to it. But picking up the phone, saying hi, introducing yourself, staying in front of people, developing rapport, that's just all you have to do, man. Yeah. So how do you think, because I know what happens in this business and you, you have brokers and what, I, what I've seen just in other examples, but you have brokers who've had success. They have a couple, their first couple of years, they're super gung-ho. They're like, hey, I'm going to make you know, 250 calls a week. They get out, they, they have a success. They have a good couple years, three years. And then all of a sudden they get into deal management. They start, you know, finding other things to do. And I'm guilty of this myself. Like this is not, I think everybody's sort of at risk of getting into these sort of positions. But how does somebody, because a lot of people will get into that space where then they, they get out of cold calling for a while and then like, man, how do I get back into it? What do you, what do you think that is helpful for people preparing, right? When they're in that funk or maybe, you know, talk about what you think, like what you do to prepare every day to get yourself into that, that uh, mindset. Yeah, man. I think for me, you know, in my journey on this commercial real estate experience, I view it as like, you know, we are the business. Tyson Cross and David Gellner, like we are the business. You're the individual is the business. And so I look at it as what habits can I establish that if I do for the rest of my life are going to lead me to success. So if I go on, if I work out every day, I'm probably going to be relatively healthy. That's probably 80% of it. And how I look at this is I cold call every day still to this day. And I think, you know, if we watch the 10 year cycle of the brokerage industry, I mean, the first call one to five years, you have more time than certainly deals or deal management. But then I, I remember, you know, three, four, five years ago, you know, you have 10 deals, 12 deals in escrow by yourself. Thankfully, we have a team around us, but it's a huge trap. And there's traps along the, this life and this brokerage life where you'll start playing games with yourself, man. And that I would say a massive trap in this industry is I would say most people who are successful, you know, they'll have one mega year and then they'll suck the next and they'll maybe have a mega year and suck the next. And for me, I would rather just kill it every year, of course. And I, I do believe this firmly is consistency is a superpower. 100%. It picking up the phone and doing it every day is, you know, an easy thing to do relatively. What's extremely hard, like anything in life, is to do it on a daily basis for the rest of your life. Going on a walk every day is an easy thing to do, except when it's pouring out rain outside and it's super dark, right? It's the same walk, but as human beings, we don't want to do certain things at certain days. And, you know, being able to push through that. So, you know, I'm huge on habits and routines. That's how I try and set up my day because I'm human. We're all human. There's a lot of days where I do not want to pick up the phone where I say, ah, I got 10 deals in escrow. Ah, I made enough money this year. You know, one day is not going to hurt, but it really does. It kills you because it's like going to the gym. You take a week off the gym. What happens the next week? It sucks. And it sucks like five times worse than if you would have just went in. And so I'm huge, you know, specifically on call blocking. I call every day, nine to noon. And that's my habit that I don't have to think about what I'm doing nine to noon. I know what I'm doing every day. And then the second thing is where, you know, I see a lot of people fail is set yourself up either the night before or the morning before nine, you know, know who you're going to call, have your list ready. You don't want to think about it. Don't think about it. Just call. That's another mantra. Don't think, just call. And you know, what happens when you're doing that, you develop the habit, the consistency is you don't have to think about it. I know, I'm calling. It's
it's this list of owners. The calls are relatively going to be similar. You know, I'm sharing information or sharing market data, trying to provide value. And I think that's where a lot of those two things are probably where I see most people fail is they don't do it consistently. So if you're not going to do it consistently, you're never going to be good and develop momentum. And then the second thing is if you do it consistently. So if you sat here from nine to noon and call, but then you're thinking about every call or calling Tyson in Oregon and David in Seattle and Kim in Idaho and you know Bob in Florida, and they're all different calls, you're not going to develop momentum and a consistency. So those those are the two main things that I try and focus on. Yeah, good stuff, man. So talk to us, how, how do you build a call list, right? So because it's really easy to say build a list, but if you've got a database, maybe you're in two states, right? And, and so everybody listening, David focuses on commercial, so a lot of net lease stuff, right? Like triple net commercial building. So how do you build your list effectively? Because I think you hit a couple points. One is doing the same thing over and over. Human nature, we don't like to do stuff. We get bored, right? And we just, we don't want to do stuff that's boring and eventually it gets boring and that's what this is. But then how do you make it efficient? Because if you can remove barriers that cause friction, then it becomes easier. And so building a list is what you're talking about. So how does somebody do that effectively so that they can continue doing it week in, week out? I'll preface this with, it depends on where you're at in the business. So, you know, where I'm at or where I've been for call it five, six, seven years is you develop some type of momentum. So specifically, you know, if I'm listing a property in, you know, what's a state, Lake Stevens, Washington, let's use the hometown. Very simply, you know, you start small. So I'll call all Lake Stevens, then I'll call the neighboring cities, then I'll call the whole county, because what you're really doing is calling for a reason and calling to share information. So that's one huge aspect of, hey, who do I call? What's my list? Is ideally you have some listings, whether they're yours or in the office, and you're leveraging those listings. The other people who I call routinely are people who just sold. You know, as part of the business, you need to be on top of everyone who sold, especially in your space. So staying in front of those people. And over time, what's going to establish is so those would be two, two pockets of calls that I'm always routinely making. And over five to 10 years, you'll develop relationships with hundreds of people who hopefully are your clients. And you know, then you can kind of selectively pick out those people. So I, I kind of have three calls. I have my leverage calls for my listings. I have my active targeted buyer calls trying to you know put those buyers into my clients' listings. And then thirdly, I have a call for clientele that are my clients, are my guys and girls. And, you know, those are my people. They're on like a three to six month kind of, hey, make sure you're checking in, see what's up with them. So those are kind of my three baskets, I guess you would say. So with your clients, let's say your top clients, right? Core clients, because it's what we talk or we you know, call our top clients. How your um, cadence is like every 90 days that you want to yeah, yeah, I would say 90 to, you know, 100, certainly every six months for sure with guys who are just like, hey man, just give me a call a couple times a year or keep checking in, but I'm not doing anything on the horizon. And then, you know, it also ideally we can broaden this and go whatever direction, but depends on your business plan. Like for me, my space is Washington state, you know, and I do work other, you know, Idaho and Oregon, but over the years, I've really tried to own a space and a market and be the guy for Washington retail investment sales. And so, you know, I might talk to a client three times a month because I've listed three deals in the similar space that are pertinent to him or her. And so it just depends. But yeah, I think at a bare minimum, if a person's an individual you want to work with now or 10 years down the road, you at least need to be in contact every six months, at least. Yeah. We, um, first firm I was at, we, we had this document 
called like the cold call Bible. Basically, you would take, and it was how to build a cold call list or a weekly list, right? So it's basically the same principle. And I think when you're starting out, it's a good way to build your list because a lot of times you don't have your own inventory to call on, so maybe it's other inventory. And so you can take, you know, a current listing that your office has and like you said, rooftop marketing, right? So I'm going to call the radius around it and then extend that to the county level. And let's say I make 50 calls on that, then I'm going to take a, a sale comp maybe in another market and I'm going to build 50 calls around that. Same principle, it's just on market, off market. So you can take two different things. That way you're hitting two sub markets and you're, you're having a, you're using sort of a, a two, two different call or openers. And then maybe you call, you know, 20 calls to your, I guess in your case, your own client list. So each week you kind of use that structure or framework and you're building a new week and just kind of rotating the people that are going into that. So Yeah, man, I think people frankly get too lost in the weeds on this. I think I'll share, I own apartments. And so, you know, if some random broker, apartment broker calls me and says, Hey, I'm Jack. And, you know, I work at XYZ firm, you know, I'm selling apartments. Do you want to talk? Yeah, I want to talk. Like, yeah, I want to talk. I own apartments. I want to buy more. Now to flip it, that's who you're looking for. And obviously, you know, if some guy's just blowing me up with nonsense, like, yeah, then I'm not going to talk to him. But I think what you're looking for in these calls, I think a lot of times people try and force it. You know, we all deal with the calls. No, no, screw you, go away, blah, blah, blah. You know, maybe I'll sell. It's very obvious. You're trying to find people who I don't want to talk to anyone that doesn't want to talk to me. I'm not yeah. going to force. There's no reason. This We're not in a business where the, if they're talking to me, they can push a DocuSign. And even if they sign the listing agreement, that's when our business, that's when our work actually starts, you know? So if, the, if it's not a good situation on the forefront, certainly there's no reason to, to keep progressing the relationship. I just see a lot of people, you know, when I'm talking to younger brokers or other brokers, I think they get lost in the technical instead of the apps actual habit. And like, man, if you, let's just say you listed an apartment building in Eastern Washington and all of my stuff's on Western Washington and you called me and said, Hey, I just listed this. I saw you own similar types of product. Like, do you want to talk or do you want the info? Yeah, I'm going to want to talk because I'm active in the space and I want to develop the relationships with brokers because we all know how important that is. And you're the guy that they want to talk to, right? And so I think good point because a lot of people try to force stuff. They're like, hey, let me just push for the meeting on this call. But the reality is there's going to be, most people are not going to want to meet, right? And so get off the phone like assess the motivation and move on to the next person, find that person that wants. Yeah, man, I will say, I don't know if it's just technologically. I mean, I do think face-to-face meetings are important for sure. But yeah, the I think the old school brokerage of calling, asking for a meeting and all that, I mean, that's not my business model and it never has been. And um, I'll just leave it at that. I'm what sure I'm sure I'll, I'll get a bunch of emails and stuff here soon, but no, that's, well, never, that's never worked. Yeah, I mean, but when you're, when you're spread out and you've got owners all over the state or the country, it's not, it's not feasible. Like, you can't. Doesn't work. Yeah. And I guess maybe it's more of a retail aspect where a lot of owners are out of state, anyways. Yeah. You know, so maybe that's one of the things. But I think I'm staying in front of people if I'm doing what I should be, which is doing a bunch of volume and owning market share in a certain area. People are going to want to talk to me and they're going to transact with me. And, you know, yes, if someone wants to meet with me, I'll fly wherever they want to meet, assuming it's valuable for both of us. So, you know, meetings, of course, have their place for sure. How important is it to ask for the business? 
by that, I mean, you take that two ways, but how often are you asking clients, not clients, I hate, I hate that overgeneralized term. How often are you asking owners if they're going to sell in the next 12 months? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think most cold calls or certainly even follow up with client calls. I mean, I've always taken the framework you know, my personality type, who I want to be as a broker, I absolutely despise hard sales. It just, it, what sales? Uh, hard, hard type of oh, sales, hard clothes, you know, say X, Y, and Z. I, I just, that doesn't resonate with me. That doesn't yeah. align with me. Now that doesn't mean to say, so I'll role play with you or I'll frame it how I usually frame it. They say, Hey Tyson, it's David. Hey man, just wanted to check in. We're selling, you know, this center over here. What are you doing? What are your plans? Oh, nothing. Okay. How's the center doing? Great. Well, are you looking to buy or sell anything next year or in the future? Yes. No. You know, you hone down like that. I think if someone says, let's take it the other way. If someone's like, Hey man, yeah, your call is impeccable. I want to sell, you know, best scenario we want to hear. Uh, then I say, okay, great. Like, what do you view? What Tyson, what do you think the next step should be? I'd love to work with you. What, how can I help? That's, you know. Yeah. And I don't mean hard closing necessarily, but I think to what you just did was the perfect way to do it. Cause I, I think there's been times at least in my own business where you get comfortable right in the cold call you just assume sometimes to talk to a guy maybe three or four years and every time you call him he's like hey everything's good man now just you have a good conversation in the market you know what's the market doing blah 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 and then you forget to ask and then and, and this has happened to me before where you know i assume that he wasn't selling he or she wasn't selling and then maybe 90 days later 100 you know six months later you look up and the property sold you're like what? Yeah. Dude, i have a good relationship with that guy but i think it's easy to get complacent and and so i that's why i ask the question because i do think it's important to have that that conversation or the question because you can ask it in a way that's not overly aggressive or you know hard salesy but it is still asking the question because the reality is they may be thinking about selling not now but maybe in six months yeah i, I probably misinterpreted that yeah i think every call i'm asking hey what are you looking at doing are you looking at buying or selling anything how can i help okay. yeah okay, cool. for sure for sure. Yeah, Even yeah. with clients that I have really good, like everyone. Yeah. yeah. You should be doing that. Yeah. I see no, I'm not calling them to like, you know, chit chat. Sometimes I am, but like I'm a commercial real estate broker. They know what I do. Hey, what do you Colin, want? You need to get yeah. paid, man. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it, and uh, I've seen that happen um, before. That's why, you know, I think it's important to address because some people focus on the call and just making sure they're, they're building the relationship, but really the purpose of the call is to get the business, right? And if somebody's thinking about doing something, you want to be that person thinking about. So. Yeah. Um, and then real quick, uh, we talked a little bit about coaching. How important do you think it is coaching in this business? And what's your advice for anybody who hasn't done that yet or had a coach? Yeah, I think, you know, if I peeled all the way back to when I started, I was so hungry and really trying to figure out how, how to be, you know, the keyword successful, whatever that means to you. And one thing that became extremely clear to me other than, you know, you need to be making consistent cold calls and prospecting. It's about who you are. It's about you as an individual, you know, and the value that not only you can share in the business, but I think, you know, not only your values as a person. And so I'm, I'm a huge believer in personal self-development and growth. And so if you're not doing that, you know, I just, you're, you're setting yourself for, for failure. And I don't, I can say like, if I wasn't dramatically committed to perpetual in self-improvement and growth, not just on a business side of things. I think as a broker, you know, if we're not just a business side. If your health is messed up, if your relationships are messed up, you're not going to be a good broker. 
period. You know, I mean, you get in a fight with your wife. How good are you the next day? You're not very good. You feel like crap or you're hungover. How good are you the next day? You're shit. So live a life that's successful for you. And so I would say to people who aren't doing that, you know, it a coach is probably the easiest best way to start if you're not committed to, you know, reading on your own and doing whatever form of improvement you feel like you need to do. It was immensely valuable, especially in the beginning stages, but but really in every stage. Because I feel like if I didn't keep pushing on that and have people to nudge me in certain ways, I would have plateaued or stagnated. And, you know, as we know, there's another aspect. This business gets brutal sometimes, man. And sometimes you just need a coach, a third party, an individual that you can just kind of vent to and talk things through because it's super hard in this business sometimes. And so it, it's been immensely valuable. And I would give a shout out to, you know, Rod and Massimo Group. They were great. I've done other business coaching and stuff. It's all been worth the money. Yeah. I mean, coaches help in so many ways. I think obviously like technical skills, brokerage skills is, is important, but the accountability too, right? I mean, because if you don't have anybody holding you accountable, if you could just, unless you're extremely disciplined, it sounds like you are, a lot of people don't have the self-discipline to maintain the, the level of, uh, consistency, consistency requires. And so having somebody that can hold you accountable can be that piece that maybe keeps you on that path. You know, so if, if that's all it is, it's worth it. So, totally. You know. Yeah. You got to invest in yourself and you are your business. So it's the least you can do in the brokerage business. Yeah, speaking of investing in yourself, brokers are like notoriously cheap when it comes to investing back into their business. Why is that, man? Like I've always been, <laughs> I've always been pretty willingly uh, or willing to spend money on it because I see the value um, in that it can bring. But you get that sense, and is there are there things that you kind of invest back into yourself besides the the, the self uh, personal development and that sort of thing? I think the first question, why is that? I think we're kind kind of in this middle territory, so to speak, where like you can make an immense amount of money as a one-off broker with nothing around you, you know? So you, you kind of, and that's probably what most people do, whether they're making money or not, is it's essentially they view brokerage as a high paying job. Right. And so, you know, I think that's a big dynamic of it is they view it as a high paying job. and, And unfortunately they view every dollar that they spend, we would consider it investing, but they view it as, you know, an expense and just a a dead amount of money, whether that, even though mentally they can probably process that, I think they're stuck in still an employee mindset. Yeah, that's a good point. I do, I do, I can think of brokers like that where it's just, uh, they don't consider it a business. It's more of a job, right? Hey, I'm a, I'm a broker. I come in, I make calls, I do deals and that's what I do. But I think you can expand so much more if you think of it as a business and you're running your own sort of company. Um, But yeah, do a lot with that. Real quick, I just want to go back We'll, we'll kind of wrap it up here pretty quick. But uh, when you talk about consistency, because you were talking a lot about being consistent and doing the things over and over and over, like what were you always that way? Or did you, were there things that you had to do to put in play in your own life to get you into that, that consistent habit? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was not always this way. This was made and this was built. And it really comes down to, you know, I I honestly, man, was clueless on how to be successful, how to make money. And so I really just started diving into personal development, self-improvement. And what I realized very quickly is the more you grow, the more everything else in your life grows. And so, you know, I have a morning routine, which is now so, you know, mainstream popular, but back, back in the day, it but I've, I've essentially built morning routine over the last decade that works for me. 
and something that I can do every day to get me in the right headspace, to get me feeling good physically. And then obviously we've talked about the business, but no, I built it, man. And I think the fundamentals of that, because like I've heard you mention on our talk, like, how do you, you're not asking, but I'm like hearing the same things everyone kind of asks, but doesn't really ask. I'm like, well, hey, if I start cold calling, like, how do I keep doing it? Or I remember when I was making all these calls, when I was, especially when I was young, I used to make like legitimately 75 to 100 calls a day. And I would have people almost on a weekly, certainly a monthly basis be like, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to burn yourself out. What are you doing? Like, you can't, you can't keep doing this. And I did it for another five years. I'm an average human being. I'm an average guy. It's the habits. And, and the matter of the fact is we all have habits. And I would guarantee you if, if I was analyzing, if I lived with you for a week straight and watched you every minute of every day, you do probably 80, maybe even 90% of your life. I think we all do the same thing at the relatively same time every single day. So we have all these subconscious habits. And I think the trick and the master key, whatever you want to call it, is consciously develop a habit that then becomes subconscious. So like for me, once I sit down in the seat at nine o'clock, dial start if your habits locked in it just flows right it's no different than yep sorry you like the trigger or the what, what's the habit so um Atomic habits. Well, so there's there's immense power in the time that you do something and the place that you do something. Yeah. So let me put it this way: like if me and you said, "Hey, we're going to get in really good shape," and we said, "Okay, well, we're going to work out every day," and one day it would be at 7 a.m. and the next day it'd be at 7 p.m. And so imagine that. Let's just take that one aspect of it. That would be honestly for me 10x harder, be, and it would be for probably most people than just committing to a certain time because there's power in the time that you do it. And then it comes back to the space. So like, you know, I meditate. And so I meditate at the same time in the same place. But what I've noticed, like when I'm traveling or if I'm staying somewhere else, or even at my house, if I go and try and do it somewhere else, like say in another bedroom or different area, there's something about that changes, you know, it makes it harder. And, you know, I think if you can, the 80% of the same time, same place that's going to get you like 80 percent there and make it so much easier you have uh so sitting that chair 9 a.m you have like a you putting music on what do you what do you do <laughs> i'm just curious, I'm just curious your routine uh no man i mean i'm usually here at like eight you know so i'm you know doing my emails i like the cruise cruise the internet, see what's sold, see what's on the market that that gets me fired up and then see what we're bringing out to market. And then it's just, it just is like a nine o'clock thing. I know if I start at that time, because I've been doing it for 10, 10 years, start at nine, it'll just carry through. It's, I love it. Yeah. Like AC starts and you just like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't unfortunately have any music. Maybe I should. I was listening to it, so I'm doing coaching. I was telling you before this, and I have a new coach, and he he does, uh, or he's done interviews like over the years with like really successful brokers. And on one of this one of the interviews, the guy was like, "Yeah, I put um I put music on in the background when I'm calling," and he's like, "Not like crazy, you know, rap or anything like that, but just upbeat music that ha- he's got going in the background." And he's like, "It keeps my mood up." And I'm like, "That's actually a really interesting idea." Um, I never thought of it, but that it makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's like. Yeah. Music is so powerful in so many ways and just having that like in the background that's kinda like keeping you jacked. I'm like, I need to try that. I haven't For done it sure, yet. Man. <laughs> yeah. 
I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> cool, man. I appreciate your time. Is there anything else? I mean, again, I think uh, hopefully there's some people that listen to this and just take a lot from this, maybe whether they're a new broker, thinking about getting into it. What would you say? I mean, are you, if you had to describe brokerage as a business and anybody thinking about getting into it as a career, what would you say to them? Just whether it's like, hey, this is the best business in the world or, you know, think about X, Y, Z. I mean, any, anywhere you want to take that, but what would you say to someone who's thinking about getting in? Yeah, I would say this is the greatest business, in my opinion, for an individual that has immense drive. Uh, it, I can't think of a better business. You can come in, you can commit to being in the business for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, a lifetime commitment. And if you can power through, because it's it's probably one of the toughest, if not toughest businesses, you know, I think the probability of success is in the first two years, what is it like 90 plus percent drop out immediately, you know? And so I would say to, you know, if you're considering it or all the new people out there, um, this business will change your life if you do it right and will provide you a lifestyle and your family a lifestyle, financial stuff ability that is unparalleled. I mean, think about it. We provide a service and we have a skill set that you can't, what you're doing is incredible and what people are doing, but still you can't learn this business. It's not like, Hey, go to college for this. You know, that's not going to help you. It, you have to spend massive amounts of time and grit your teeth in order to learn this skill set and learn this business. And the learning curve is immense, but if you learn it, you're going to have a lifestyle that certainly is unparalleled to anything else. And we trade our time for immense amounts of money if you're good at it. And I can't think of another business that can equal that with at least with uh, no risk, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. No, the risk is there's very little risk in terms of like the worst that can happen is, you know, you try it and then you go get a job. Right. Yeah. Not really that risky. For sure. I would just add, you know, I think this is the worst. Well, it's always bad to kind of dabble in my mind, but this is an industry that if you come in, you need to have a gut check with yourself. We all do. And you need to make sure you have enough desire and you want it bad enough because it's a horrible business to suck at and it's a horrible business to be mediocre at. And so I think you got to have the framework of coming in and being like, I'm going to be the best in my space. I'm going to commit to that. And if you can have that and you can tough it out, it is incredible. Yeah, for sure. Um, Awesome, dude. Thanks for the time, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to share. And I'm sure a lot of people will listen to this and take a lot of value out of it. And uh, good to sit and chat with you a little bit. We haven't really got a chance to talk. So thanks, man. Appreciate it. Of course, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll link your stuff at the bottom of this email. And then if anyone's obviously selling commercial real estate, you know, commercial triple net stuff, retail, give David a call out of the, uh, you focus mainly in Washington or are you in Oregon too, or where's your territory? Yeah, I'd say I do about 80% in Washington and then okay. the rest in, you know, other, other West coast states. Okay, cool. So we'll link yeah. to your, your, uh, contact info and you can go to the X website, get one.com as well. And, uh, thanks for listening everybody. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks, David. Thanks, man.